Welcome to the Union Jews Podcast. UK's only Things Union show, produced for your downloadable digital delight and appreciation. In this special episode, after a Labour landslide in the general election, Melissa Ansel Bridges from the New Zealand Council of Trade Unions on her hopes for the future. Welcome to the Union Jews podcast, the UK's only all things union show. I'm Simon Sapper, and in this special episode, we're going to be, well, well, let's put it like this. What if you woke up on a Monday morning and found out that over the weekend, a minority Labour government had been re-elected, but this time with a huge majority? They could govern alone. All those things that you'd thought about, hoped, discussed, consulted on, suddenly could be delivered. A guilt-edged opportunity. That's exactly the position our colleagues in New Zealand found themselves in last month. And our guest on today's show is Melissa Ansel Bridges, who is the General Secretary of the New Zealand Council of Trade Unions. It's quite a challenge, as you can imagine. Now, that's not the only reason for focusing on New Zealand in this special episode. I'm pleased to say that Union Jews has a goodly number of listeners in that part of the world. So to you, let me say kia ora and thank you for your support for the show. But before turning to Melissa, it's probably helpful to have a quick overview of what the New Zealand economy and labour movement looks like at the moment. And apologies if I'm telling you stuff that you know already, but the New Zealand Council of Trade Unions has about 350,000 members, 27 affiliates. It's the largest democratic organisation in New Zealand. Now, the New Zealand labour market and employee relations was deregulated big time in the early to mid 1990s and union membership took a real pounding but there's been gradual and consistent build back and density now stands at just under 21 and a half percent so a little less than it is here in the UK. Now even though New Zealand has generally been reckoned to manage the Covid crisis really well unemployment is still up in the country it's now at 5.3 percent and that shows a 1.3 percentage point increase over the stats for the preceding quarter. Median weekly earnings are just over 1000 New Zealand dollars per week and the exchange rate is 1 UK pound to $1.92. There is a national minimum wage which has just gone up to $18.90 and there was an election pledged by the Labour Party to hit the $20 mark in 2021. There is an informal national living wage of $22.10. The electoral system is a mixed member proportional system, which is part list and part constituency based, designed to make it very, very difficult for one party to achieve a majority. So I'm really grateful to Melissa for spending some of her very valuable and very sparse time with us to talk about the prospects for the New Zealand labour movement in in the coming period. And without any further ado, here she is. Melissa Ansel Bridges, General Secretary of the New Zealand Council of Trade Unions, very much welcome to the Union Dues podcast. Thanks for coming along. Thanks very much for having me. Looking forward to having a chat. And a very exciting time, of course, in New Zealand with a majority Labour government for the first time in like yonks uh, and a government, a government that's 
clearly so confident it's said to the Greens, come and join us in government, even though they don't actually need to form a coalition. Yeah, so it's a little more complex than that. We have quite a, a funny electoral system in New Zealand with, with MMP. So that's why we haven't, I mean, we haven't had a majority any government for decades. Um, they have two ministerial positions, but they're sort of outside the cabinet. So I, I'm not sure about the language that they're using, but I suspect that they will be referring to it as a Labour government as opposed to a Labour-led yeah. government. I, I personally would have absolutely put my money on Labour needing the Greens to govern and was, was quite surprised mm. that they mm. did just that well on on election night. But it's it's cool. I mean, the, in terms of what we're looking at um, wanting to achieve in, in the next couple of years, you know, Labour's got some really great policy. The Greens, we did a little like election scorecard for, for mm. all the parties. The Greens got an A plus from us. Labour got an A. There were just a f- few areas where the Greens sort of went further on some important issues for us. In a way, actually, things might have been a bit easier for us or we might have been able to get a, you know, take some issues a bit further had the Greens had a bit more leverage in those coalition agreements. But yeah, I mean, as it is, we've got a great new workplace relations minister and they've for, got some great policy. organiser for the finance union, I, I believe. That's right. Yeah. So Michael Wood had previously been working at FinSec, which no longer exists, is now various amalgamations, part of First Union in New Zealand. He was an organiser a while ago, recently has worked in local body politics uh, and has been an MP for a while, but this is his first ministerial position. And so he is Minister for Workplace Relations and Safety and also he's got transport as well. So he's going to be quite busy. He's going to be a busy lad, isn't he? Yeah. Um, so the, the agenda, as you say, is, is, is quite crowded. And I understand that, that there are some, there's some low-lying fruit in the sense that things like fair pay agreements, a lot of consultation and work has been done already. That's almost g- good, good to go. Is that correct? And, and what, yeah. in a nutshell, what is a fair pay agreement? Yeah, cool. So fair pay agreements basically is um, an industry bargaining framework. So New Zealand doesn't and hasn't for a couple of decades had any structure for industry-wide bargaining. So everything is on an enterprise-by-enterprise basis and... That's really hard. <laughs> um, well, I, that's that's right. The structure of, of New Zealand trade unions is not dissimilar to that in the, in the UK in the sense that there are areas of strength. Yeah. But overall density has taken a real pounding. I think New Zealand trade union density is around 21% at the, yeah. uh, at the moment. So there are, there are lots of areas where it's been really hard, in, in fact, almost impossible yeah. to get through the door to organise. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. So you tend to have, you know, higher density in those areas of the public sector where, I mean, essentially you are negotiating with a hand, like either one or a handful of, of large employers. And then there's other areas in the private sector where it's just Im- impossible nearly to organise, you know, where you've got lots of employers who, and, and you know, it's very easy to set up a small business in, in New Zealand as well, which is great, but it means that, you know, you have whole industries which are dominated by relatively small businesses who might just have a couple of employees each. Mm. It's really hard to organise in those industries. So fair pay agreements would be uh, negotiated between unions and employer groups 
but they would then be the the terms and conditions and then would be compulsory across the whole industry um so they're really about preventing a sort of race to the bottom or preventing businesses from competing on wages compete on whatever else you want but don't don't yeah. compete on on terms and conditions you know so it's about putting a floor in place but also mm. having that kind of arrangement between between unions and between employer organizations as well you know you can take a more i suppose targeted approach to things like health and safety in specific industries where you've got you know specific things you need to be thinking about or you know industry-wide training programs that benefit the industry as a whole there's sort of an, an opportunity there for coordination of the yeah. industry as well to make the industry as a whole stronger with the, the union um, and employers association sort of having that framework already for those sorts of conversations but I mean that's a that's a massive piece of work it was an election you know policy at the last election so 2017 and mm. it was extensive consultation done on it. So there was a working group established, working group report, and then there was a further consultation which the government undertook. And I think ultimately towards the end of the last term, it was um, stymied by New Zealand First, who was one of the other parties in government, and, you know, just sort of didn't get across the line also been, you know, COVID, there were other priorities as well. But but no no one can say that this is a surprise. Mm. Given that level of consultation, it's, it's something that's been yeah. really fully thought through. And it, it raises it raises kind of three three questions uh, for, for me, Melissa. Melissa. The, 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 first is, the first is, mm. who negotiates this sector by sector if actually there are sectors where, for whatever yeah. reason, there's no union input? Um, the second is, is will it will it cover contractors? Because one of the biggest risks in terms of conditions yeah. is when things are contracted out. So, so there, if, therefore, is there an obligation all the way down the labour supply chain, as it were? And then the third thing, is, is, I mean, I'm realizing I'm throwing these things. Yeah, yeah, no, this is, this is good. <laughs> but but, but, but the, the, third, the third thing is, is if you get a fair work agreement, what's the relationship between that and the New Zealand uh, national minimum wage? Okay, it, these are it, all great over, questions. Does it, yeah. does it overtake the minimum wage and make it kind of obsolete, as it were? So, sorry, take your pick. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so a fair pay agreement. So it's not a given that every industry is going to have one because they have to be initiated. And so there are, so there are still some details of the policy, which we're not entirely sure where the government's going to land on things because there was there was a little bit of vagueness and, well, not vagueness, but like unanswered questions from the working yeah. group report, right? Sure. So some of these things are unknown. But our preference, for obvious reasons, is that fair pay agreements are, are union-initiated. So if there isn't a union in an in industry, it's unlikely that a fair pay agreement would then be initiated right. and exist in that right. industry. So I suppose what, what it does then do, though, is it creates an incentive for unions to go into industries which otherwise they're it's just too hard to organize in right so that's that's the first thing in terms of contractors our, our expectation our hope would be that the it would cover contractors it would cover independent contractors obviously there mm. are some complications where you have terms and conditions which sort of relate 
to employees, which don't make a lot of sense when you try and apply them to independent contractors. But I think it's really important that, I mean, as you say, that 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 flaw, um, that we find a way of sort of translating those those yeah. terms and conditions across the industry, because otherwise you're just incentivizing companies to contract out, which, you know, entirely undoes the, <laughs> the whole it's reason to- for having totally fair flaws, it, doesn't it? I mean, if, 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 yeah. if, you are, if, if, you're, if you're an independent <clears throat> kind of contractor, as it were, and you are allowed to sell your labour mm. at a rate that is below that set by the fair pay uh, agreement or the yeah. national minimum wage, you, you, kind of what's the, what's the point? It, it busts e- exactly. the whole idea, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. and I mean, there's there's another piece of work which we can talk about in a bit around around contractors in New Zealand and basically how there are huge pockets of people who are currently working as contractors or engaged as contractors and really shouldn't be. But it's such a arduous process to challenge your employment yeah. status mm. that most people don't because there's, there's, there's actually no point in it or it would cost so much money or it would take so long. So there is there is that issue and I think, I mean, that needs to be addressed through other means as well. But certainly yeah. Yeah. you don't want to be doing anything which incentivizes that at all. Yeah. Your last question about um, minimum wage, I think the expectation is, I mean, we've got a, a relatively high, well, it probably sounds high, but our minimum wage is eighteen ninety. It's lower than the living wage. Um, yeah. We would, I think, expect that fair pay agreements, you'd, you'd probably expect that the pay rates would be above the minimum wage. And, I mean, again, the minimum wage and other minimum sort of entitlements, terms and conditions in, in our industrial law in New Zealand would still apply to these groups. But, right. the you know, the purpose of the fair pay agreements would be to sort of try and lift that floor above those. Yeah, I mean, see, I, it's it's a very interesting comparison with here here in the UK because for for this for this to be moving forward, hmm. in, in, indeed, for such a for such a strong vote for parties of the centre and the and, uh, and the left suggests a consensus in New Zealand society that just doesn't exist here. Uh, a right. consensus that, that there there are, there are two problems. I think the first the first is that even if unions organise in new sectors, employers' organisations are not always still robust or, or, mm-hmm. or in evidence. So if you like, the unions have no one to negotiate against, which is a, which yeah. is a problem for thinking about sector level bargaining in the, U, in the UK. And the second, the second is employers would be extremely concerned, really resistant. I think most of them to the idea of, or, or, of, uh, a high floor in terms of in terms of pay. Um, yeah, oh, I mean, trust me, too, too fragile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and and they are here too as well. You know, the the employ- I mean, some 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 employers are in favour of fair pay agreements, especially the ones who are sort of trying to do the the right thing, or you know, mm. are, are, are wanting to pay decent wages and are having those efforts undermined by other companies in, in their industries. So there certainly is support from from those companies who see that, you know, actually we don't we don't gain anything as an economy by, you know, the sort of race to the bottom. But there are definitely um employers who are, you know, are, are scaremongering about um fair pay agreements, especially sort of in the context yeah. of, of COVID and COVID recovery. But, you know, we don't think that austerity uh, is the 
you know, is the solution to economic recovery either. And, you know, New Zealand's had challenges with productivity for for a really long time. We've got a relatively yeah, low yeah. wage economy and, you know, huge inequality as well. And a lot of poverty from people who are in full-time employment um it's you know it's it's really hard for a lot of people and we've we've got to change how we're doing things so i think you know fair pay agreements will will make a massive difference for for a lot of working people yeah we've just just got to get them across the line so So, hoping that it doesn't take too long (laughs) so um, i I understand absolutely and i think it's it's a it's a vital thing isn't it that unions need an incentive to organize outside their core areas and if the incentive Mm. is once you get once you get into a new industrial sector if you're effective then a fair pay agreement will the process for the fair pay agreement kicks in but but if we roll it forward a little bit what happens if the two sides can't agree well, what's the kind of arbitration mechanism? Is there an arbitration mechanism? Yes. So one of the potentially more controversial parts of the, the design of the fair pay agreements is that industrial action wouldn't be allowed during negotiation of the fair pay agreement. So it would be allowed for disputes, obviously, in the industry outside yeah. of that. But yeah, during yeah. negotiation for the fair pay agreement, it wouldn't be. And disputes in that space would be dealt with via compulsory arbitration. Right. Yeah. Because you've got to have a tie break. You know, if you're not having... You've got to have a tie. You have. Yeah. Who who does the arbitrating? Ah, I don't know if, I don't know if that was, that was landed on, but I, I mean, we've got, you know, mediation system through our Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment. So it may be them or it could be one of those things, which is, agreed by parties at the start yeah. of the process mm. who you'd you know who you'd go through or what organization you'd use if you need to go through arbitration but but it would be ultimately it would be uh arbitration rather than just mediation right. it, it, okay. it's some i mean you'd go you've through the steps of yeah. yeah you'd go through the steps of mediation but then ultimately if you if you really have to then you'd you'd get yeah. to arbitration it, it sounds like this is this has been designed out of the system but is there a risk that new zealand might end up in a position not dissimilar to say the australians with the australians fair work commission where you have lots and lots of sector level rulings but actually not a great deal of enforcement interesting i mean i suppose it's it's possible i think that initially there will probably be some form of of sequencing for the industries in terms of how many and what we still don't know as well what still hasn't been decided on this is quite 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 a bit actually um is around the initiation process for for starting that so so it is possible as well that the negotiation of them is sequenced so that uh, I suppose as we're starting the process of having this new framework in place that we can be ironing out those issues as well. Because obviously, you know, having a, a system which then isn't um, enforced doesn't make any sense. But, you know, the terms and conditions in the fair pay agreement would form a, a part of the the employment agreement. And also the right, the rights are enforceable by the individuals, aren't they? I mean, if, yeah. if there is a sector level agreement and, a, a, you know, a, a small business in a remote part of the country is not, is not playing by it, then the, the employers, the workers themselves have the right to, uh, to 
uh, self-start enforcement action. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I guess that's that's another way as well in which, you know, uh, working people will have or could have potentially greater contact with a union, which they might not otherwise have if they, if they do need help with that enforcement. I mean, I imagine your affiliates uh, must be must be really optimistic uh, about this. It's a huge organising fillip, isn't it? Yeah. To, to... Yeah. Absolutely. So, do, I mean, do, do you see signs that, that that they are kind of reconfiguring somewhat to meet this organising opportunity? Yeah, I suppose. And actually, I mean, this is this is quite good timing because we've got a, a union leaders um, forum this week, so it's a big sort of strategy planning day, thinking about the next three yeah, yeah. years. But I mean, one of the things that we'll be discussing there is really around how we maximise the growth opportunity that comes from some of the legislative, you know, developments that we're expecting in the next couple of years. Fair pay agreements is is a really big one. We have had some experience or some of our affiliates have had some experience in a similar way with pay equity claims as well, which have happened across a right. whole industry. So that was, you know, in situations where unions have taken on a bargaining role for a group of working people, not all of whom are necessarily members, um, I suppose is the yeah. is the similarity, and it doesn't happen automatically. <laughs> you know, you've still got to do a lot of yeah. organising, but there is there is growth that can come out of those opportunities as well um, when when people start having contact with with the union, and obviously, you know, you need to be put in touch with people to be able to bargain on on behalf of them so there's sort of that that point of contact that conversation that can happen with people who might not have had contact with the union previously it really is something of a golden opportunity um I mean, yeah, you, and you know, you you can there's that sort of opportunity as well for people who have perhaps never been a part of it, like a collective yeah. process, who then are sort of brought into that and can see how how awesome that is as yeah. well. So you, it's sort of a nice introduction. Do you find that there's this kind of uh, intersectionality that that people who <laughs> the people who are hardest to reach in terms of organising, the people who have least contact with unions, also are tend to be younger perhaps more women perhaps from mm. from minority groups and and therefore when you deal with one of these aspects with the you start to deal with the others as well and you have a cumulative effect that's very good in terms of equality and diversity yeah absolutely and i mean the the age one's really interesting i'm i'm 32 so a lot of you know my my generation my friends i mean they <laughs> they now all know what unions are <laughs> but <laughs> But, you know, there's like, I, I absolutely can see that there are, you know, there's sort of this generational thing. There are people my age now who grew up after, you know, the reforms which happened in the 90s, which just destroyed the yes. union movement in New Zealand, who really don't have never heard of a union, you know, don't don't know what unions do or think they're just a thing that like teachers do because they sometimes see those you know protests or whatever on the news and but really have not had any contact at all and then at the same time have like as a as a group of people you know this um horrible precarious work environments yeah. with you know really casualized contract so there's you know there's absolutely an intersection there with the the kinds of work that 
that people who are already sort of disadvantaged or in more sort of economically precarious situations end up in. And then, yeah, that that sort of lack of contact with with unions as well. Yeah, it's really, really challenging. In that that context, then, what we touched on earlier in our conversation about contractors, about extending this employment rights platform or floor to to, to contractors is particularly important, uh, uh, intervening to stop this kind of vicious cycle. Yeah, absolutely. And this is an issue that I'm really, really passionate about. So before um, starting at the CTU, I worked for three and a half years at Equity New Zealand, which is the actors' Mm. union. And actors in New Zealand are are basically all engaged as contractors. So it it was a union of contractors, which was quite unusual and and it was something that I occasionally there were there were sort of conversations but I felt like it was part of the it was the sort of acknowledgement that contractors existed <laughs> and were working people too and you know really needed you know better support and protection felt like it was missing often from conversations in, in union environments as well and the government in their election policy, they, you know, discussed the the desire to do some work addressing the rights of contractors mm-hmm. and looking at collective bargaining and so on, which is really great. There was a consultation, which we partook in about a year ago as well, about what, you know, what needed to be done to protect contractors better, basically. And I think that some of the challenges when you're talking about the kinds of policy improvements that are needed to protect contractors better is that there's such a range of what it is to be a contractor. You know, you have people who are very well paid and very, you know, strong (laughs) negotiating positions doing, you know, really specialised work potentially who who really don't, you know, they're, they're doing absolutely fine. And then you've got a lot of people who are actually really, really struggling and absolutely being taken advantage of as contractors as well. And sort of everything in between. And I yeah. think the the big challenge in New Zealand, and I'm sure it exists elsewhere as well, is that the law and the way that the law is implemented around employment status is really complex. So we've got a number of different tests which all need to be sort of taken into account in assessing an individual's situation. They're all common law. They're not in legislation. So actually understanding, you know, you know, if you, if you were someone who thought that you were potentially incorrectly engaged, trying to understand what the hell the law is to see, you know, whether, whether or not you should be an employee, it's really inaccessible. And then to actually challenge it, you've got to go through the courts, which is, a slow process it's an expensive process and then the decision only applies to you specifically so you know people don't end up challenging employment status unless Mm. you've got like a really strong personal grievance case you know because otherwise it's just not worth the time and the money gosh i mean i mean that's that's kind of where i'd start yeah i think you know if, if i if i really wanted to fix this fix this Inequity, mm. this unbalanced play, playing field. It's the employment status pieces. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it, it's an access to justice issue as well. Like we have to start yeah. by enforcing the law as it exists because that currently doesn't happen because it's just too hard. So actually, if you, you know, incorporated 
the tests into legislation. You made it more straightforward and you made it more of an administrative process, potentially, as opposed to a judicial process. You made that free of charge to, you know, get a, that kind yeah. of an assessment. And then you did things like extending those kinds of decisions to other people on similar contracts in the same workplace or potentially even the same industry as well. Or, or you know, if you had authorities providing guidance about, you know, if people are on these kinds of contracts in this industry, then you should really, you know, be looking at engaging them as yeah. employees and providing that kind of advice. I think you would go, you know, quite far in terms of addressing those kinds of I mean, it, it is a breach of the law. It's just one which uh, we sort of don't seem to be actively doing anything about and it's just kind of accepted that this is a bad thing which happens, but we'll just leave it be because we don't really have the structures in place to do anything about it. It just seems like madness to me, you know, like do all you want to, you know, and, 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 and as unions, it doesn't make any sense strategically yeah, to me either to absolutely. be ignoring contractors. You know. No, absolutely, absolutely not. I mean, I think you've kind of answered the next question I was going to ask you, which is if we were to roll forward yep. to the end of this parliamentary term, 2023, and New Zealand Labour and the Greens were to come to, to NZCCU and, and say, election time again, can we count on your support? You know, what would you have hoped they'd have achieved in those three years? But clearly, I, I imagine employment, resolving employment status or taking steps to resolve that is, is on the list. Oh, it's, yeah, it's definitely on the list. I mean, I would be saying fair pay agreements have got to be in law and we've got to have some of them negotiated. You know, we need to make real progress on that. And then contractors is is a must. Um, we have we ended up with a bit of a laundry list going into the election of the things that we wanted parties to be doing. But the other things that are on there are a review of our Health and Safety Act, and mm-hmm. there's there's some specific asks in around health and safety as well. So it's things like you know greater acknowledgement of psychosocial harm in the Act and better workplace yeah. representation yeah. because we currently it's not mandatory to have workplace reps in small businesses. Oh, okay. So any business okay. under twenty, you know. And as I said before, we've got a lot of small businesses in New Zealand. There's a lot of places without reps. That's really important. And then, you know, we're also really keen to see greater support for displaced workers in New Zealand as well. And that feels very topical currently. So we have no minimum statutory redundancy in New Zealand. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay. Right. So that's really challenging. (laughs) Also, you know, supporting welfare reform as well because our benefit system is really punitive and also um, basically impossible to survive on. But we have also been advocating through the Future of Work Forum, which has been set up by this government to sort of talk about, you know, future of work issues for a social insurance model as well. So like a a sort of state-run, you know, employment insurance basically. And so, you know, we want those kinds of supports uh, in place, which, you know, have future of work, you know, outcomes as well. Yeah. But, you know, feels very relevant uh, in the current, you know, climate, which is so uncertain. And then the other thing which we're hoping will happen very fast is that we've been asking for sick leave to be doubled because currently it's five days and it's just, it's not enough in a pandemic. <laughs> or even without a pandemic. I mean... Or, or without a pandemic. You know, any flu yeah. season. Take any flu season. or and, and, and if you have kids or you work in a service industry and five days goes very fast. That's for sure. Melissa, it's, mm. I, wow. I mean, it, this is going to be a huge challenge for 
yourself and your affiliates. I mean, but in in the best of in the best of ways, really, isn't it? Because it's all positive stuff. This is you know, you've not got not just one glass that's half full. You've got a whole shelf of them. So yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it does really feel like you know we've got we've got three years in which we, you know, there's a degree of certainty about the environment that we're operating in. And there are commitments around certain pieces of policy that we've wanted for a long time. And so, you know, there's definitely more that we're keen to see as well. You know, we're always pushing to go further and faster, but we're really excited about the the work that we're expecting to be able to get done in the next three years. Brilliant. Well, the very best of luck and I shall be watching with, with keen interest. Thank you very much. Maybe we can we can update in three years' I time would love and, to. Oh, and see where we got to. <laughs> let's do that. Let's do that. Melissa, thank you Fantastic. very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks, Simon. Cheers. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, listeners. It really is a fascinating view on an environment where things are quite different to what we have to put up with in the UK at the, the moment. Uh, the idea of fair pay agreements, sector level bargaining on, on that grand scale, that is, that's really intriguing. That's, I mean, that's, that's kind of uh, mouthwatering in a way, isn't it? A very attractive prospect. But of course, as you heard from my discussion with Melissa, there are lots of details that have to be worked out in terms of uh, how that's going to work. And also, you know, there's this kind of real thing about contractors, isn't it? If you can, if you can treat contractors, subcontractors differently to those who are primary workers, if you like, in the sector that's governed by a fair pay agreement, you know, you've got a huge hole, a huge hole in, in that kind of safety net. Really interesting stuff. We'll have to see how it develops. And, and you know, there are all sorts of other things that really, as I closed the interview, I thought I kind of should have, should have spoken about this maybe. The fact that it's not all sweetness and light in New Zealand, although there's a lot of optimism, a lot of good uh, about the government and about the, the, the culture there, of course. I mean, poverty um, disproportionately affects Maori and Pacifica peoples in, in New Zealand. You heard Melissa talk about the deficiencies in health and safety regulation. The fact there's no redundancy cover or compensation. And, and then again, her own story, how you move from being from being a union activist to being an official in a CTU affiliate to being the general secretary of the CTU all by the age of 32. It's a good story in itself. Maybe we'll have to go back and, and cover that ground. But of course, the primary purpose of the podcast was to look at how a national trade union centre can interact with an incoming Labour government. I think, I hope we've, we've achieved that. If you want to find out more about what Melissa and her colleagues at the CTU are doing, the CTU's website is union.org. NZ. If you'd like to hear more from general secretaries, other union officials, union activists across the world, if you like this format of the Union Jews podcast, please join the discussion. Let me know. You can email the show at unionjews at makesyouthink.com. You can tweet us at Jews Union. If you've got any comment about the ideas that we were discussing, I, again, please join the conversation. Unionjews at makesyouthink.com is the email address you need. And if you head over to the makesyouthink.com website, you'll find the companion blog to this podcast full of background information, signposting and more links than a golf course. Well, that's just about it for this special episode of the Union Jews podcast. Thank you very much for your company. Thanks to Melissa for giving up her time to join us. Do keep your eyes peeled on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and so on for details of our next special episode and also of the new Union Jews series, which will launch in January 2021. It just leaves me to say whatever you're doing, wherever you're doing it, I hope you and yours are all safe and well and all being well. I'll see you around sometime soon.
The Union Dues podcast is presented by me, Simon Sapper. It is a Makes You Think production.